0: How many coffees do you have
1: a day? A day? Uh, probably, I don't know, on a good day, or, or I reckon I'll get through about a litre. A litre of coffee? Of a black coffee. No way.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to the Take Flight podcast with me, Mark Whittle. Really excited to share this episode with you. The guest for episode 16 of the Take Flight podcast is co founder of Sandiles Cold Brew Coffee hugh duffy sandals is cold brew coffee brewed in london and the guys are absolutely killing it they've gone from brewing in their kitchen to being stocked in selfridges fortnum and masons sourced market and more recently sainsbury's among many others as well as being the coffee of choice in all bar ones around the country for those late night espresso martinis i'm a massive coffee fan and i've got to be honest we do nerd out a little bit in this episode about some very niche coffee chat which i loved and was in my element but we also talk all about the newest release from the sandals family the spiced and citrus flavored coffee soda which was unreal we actually try it during the recording they're available in Saint as well and I encourage everyone to go and pick one up they really do taste amazing it's very different to your normal coffee but i loved it we talk about so so much more if you've been listening to take flight and are considering launching a product then this episode is definitely for you Hugh is a top, top guy and shares some absolute gold around product development, general entrepreneurship around building a product, everything from sales, marketing, to building a brand and taking a product from concept to ultimately the success that it is today. Real quick intro from me because it's Sunday morning and I'm trying to post this episode in the next hour, so I'll rush through the intro, but please enjoy my chat with the one and only Hugh Duffy as we hear all about the Sandow story. Enjoy. Thank you Duffy, <laughs> welcome to the Take Fight Podcast.
1: Thank you mate, thanks for me.
0: Mate thanks so much for, for coming out here, I know you were busy last night up at Soho Farmhouse.
1: Yeah just up there for a, for a little workshop, um, it was part of their food summit this year so that's cool.
0: Nice, and uh, late night?
1: Uh, I mean yeah there was a little, um, there was a dinner and, and uh, you know had a few drinks and, and chat with a few people which was cool, Like met some new people and uh, But yeah,
0: not not super late. (laughs) Yeah. Mate, thanks so much for coming down. It's been, uh, I've I've been wanting to chat to you for a while actually. I spoke with Hugh Thomas. He was actually on the first episode of of this podcast. Yeah, Yeah, which is like way back in January. And your name came up a a number of times in conversations with other people as well, like my brother. Oh, yeah, no way. So yeah, mate, it's exciting to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, mate, just to kick things off, you give us a bit of a background of who you are and I guess a bit of a understanding around the business and what you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name's Hugh. I, I guess, like, uh, I'm the co-founder of Sandell's Cold Brew Coffee. Uh, we, we make a whole range of ready-to-drink and sort of on-trade-ready um, cold brew coffee drinks. And, I mean, just to give you a, a sort of, in a nutshell, cold brew is coffee that's brewed overnight with cold water. So you get, like, uh, a smoother, sort of less bitter and less acidic flavour by uh, infusing the coffee, the ground coffee, in cold water rather than using hot water to extract it. So where you could brew like a filter coffee in in say like five minutes using hot water, when you take away that heat, you can still extract it to the same level, and and you pull out a range of different flavors, and that's why it's kind of like really smooth, but it takes much much longer. So we're talking like you know we do sixteen hours, but you can go from anywhere between like twelve and twenty four hours really.
0: You just get different results. So it literally takes like 16 hours. And how much would you do in 16 hours?
1: Well, I mean, when we first started out about four years ago, you know, the the, the sort of batch size that we would do would maybe be like 50 litres. But now we're up to kind of like 20,000 litres at a time. Jesus.
0: (laughs) And we're just saying that I asked you how much coffee you drink yeah be like a liter of coffee a day,
1: yeah
0: I mean so
1: on a on a good day if i'm if I'm stressed, I try to cut it back a yeah. bit just otherwise there's just too much going on, and I just have to like have to take a walk or something yeah. <laughs>
0: do you think you're like immune to caffeine at this point uh,
1: I mean I don't uh, yeah i can I can definitely drink a cup of coffee and then go to bed and and not have any trouble really? sleeping for sure, but I mean. I don't really drink it for the caffeine it's not about like getting wired or anything although if I make it too strong that can happen sometimes um, but I just love the flavour and, and like the whole experience the ritual the ceremony behind it and, and it's just like it's, it's more than you know it, it's more than just a means to an end for me
0: yeah no it's interesting mate I think a lot of people talk about making a coffee as like their meditation in the morning and stuff like yeah. sometimes
1: yeah absolutely I mean I um, yeah, every day, when well maybe not every day we, we tend to I've, I've trained some of the others in the team now so we tend to take it in turns but i, I, I do really enjoy like grinding the coffee and then using our coffee maker to make a yeah. make a batch and and you know sort of divvy it out to everyone
0: yeah what would be your like what's your typical coffee would you always go cold brew or do you like change it up I, I do really
1: like cold brew but i think probably my my standard order uh is just like a black filter coffee you know i, I like it uh I'm pretty particular about it. I mean, I can enjoy like a like a pour-over filter yeah. something that's quite, I can, you know, I I know what to what to I can understand like why you would do that and like, you know, I can probably just about pick, you know, more or less where it's from, like whether it's from East Africa or from yeah. sort of Central South America, maybe better than that if it's got quite a distinctive flavour, like it's from Ethiopia or something.
0: Really, like you could actually mm. pick out where.
1: Some yeah. of them have like really like clear flavours that you get used to after tasting a like, couple of thousand cups of coffee. You can mm. you can sort of start to recognise it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I get I'll get like close, but not <laughs> definitely <laughs> not getting the nail on the head every time.
0: Whereas like the sweeter type of coffees come from normally
1: well I mean you tend to get like basically African coffees tend to have like sort of I mean uh, it's funny because our whole business is about like trying to get away from like you know (laughs) with notes of uh, stone fruit and and that kind of thing we're just trying to make it like you know really accessible and and just sell the idea as you know using design to make it cool and and uh basically just like delicious and full stop that's kind of it yeah but um yeah i mean we we actually for sandals we tend to source coffee from uh central and south america because it's has has a more like chocolatey and like knotty flavor mm-hmm. which i guess when most people think about coffee they're like You know, it's just like tastes like coffee, Um, and that's important to them. And it's it's a bit more, you know, what they recognize, and maybe a little bit closer to what what their experience is. But you know, when you when you do delve deeper, and you know, I used to roast coffee, and you know, I've I've tried a lot of different coffees from all over. There is a whole whole range of flavor, like even even more flavors available than than you get in wine. Um, Sort of, you know, much much more, Mm -hmm. Um, and something from like. you know ethiopia like there's a sort of region there where the coffee kind of almost has like this blueberry lavender sort of tastes and it's it's weird it's the sort (laughs) of thing where that sounds crazy but yeah you 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 drink it as a as a filter and that sort of stuff like whether it's from the aroma or like the flavor you can just about sort of start to pick that stuff out
0: yeah no it's amazing mate and you brought some with you today and we're drinking it now and i'm buzzing already <laughs> <laughs> nice one. No, it tastes amazing and obviously you said that because of the slow brew yeah it tastes like sweeter and stuff as well so
1: yeah so this is sugar-free dairy-free so um you know it's just like a straight up black coffee um ultimate dairy alternative it's just black black coffee yeah. um but yeah we're just going for like something that's a little smoother and it's, it's actually really funny because lot of um like younger coffee consumers like you know people who are trying coffee for the first time um who maybe want to participate in that sort of like um something that they've seen in films or something like that whether it's like maybe not uh coffee and cigarettes for example but like you know like that's a damn fine cup of coffee or you know all there's all these different cultural references to do with coffee and i feel like it's quite it has a really strong pull and so young people you know, they don't necessarily like the flavour of like a bitter um, black filter coffee, um, so they'll they'll kind of go towards like lattes and cappuccinos mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Whereas cold brew, because you don't you don't have quite so much of a harsh bitterness, it's actually funny. You get like you know people who want to to drink black coffee like that, and you know they actually end up really enjoying it. So kind of come. When I got into coffee, I was I was like uh, I didn't even like coffee when I first moved to the UK about eight years ago. And- really. I just used to order hot chocolate and uh, everyone still sort of ribs me for, you know, I I love a mocha (laughs) Um, but like, you know, I would would order that and then I kind of, I was like, all right, I'll drop the chocolate and then I'd have a latte and then like less milk, flat white and then less again, like a little sort of piccolo thing and then, all right, I'll drop the milk I'll try an espresso and then move on to like starting to get into the filter style and then eventually, you, you, you know you get to cold brew and I feel like that's quite a, like, standard sort of journey. Yeah. And what I really like about what we're doing with Sandals, particularly with our new, like, sparkling... Uh, cold brew drinks is that we're just like blowing the whole thing wide open and you can come at it from from the other end entirely and you know maybe like one day you end up getting to mocha from cold brew at the other end which is kind of wacky but it's uh, yeah. yeah I find that quite cool no
0: it's interesting mate I mean my coffee journey was uh, very similar actually I started with a caramel latte yeah. in, <laughs> in Costa I mean they are delicious but well,
1: it's got so much sugar isn't it <laughs> like,
0: like I could never drink one of those now though yeah yeah. Um, I'd always have a either, yeah, either a filter or V60 or something yeah. Um, yeah, nice But yeah, mate, I absolutely love this I think at some stage during this chat We're going to have to open one of the uh, sparkling ones as well Sweet, perfect To give it a go So, mate, I've obviously read up on some of your story Awesome um, And it's really interesting The Take Flight podcast is about people who are taking a leap of faith And doing some incredible things And I think what you've done is awesome to date So I want to hear a little bit about Probably where the thought first started for Sandals Where it came from Yeah and I guess what actually made you go and take it from just a thought and a pipe dream into the reality that it is today?
1: Okay, cool. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I guess our story kind of begins where uh, Luke, my co-founder, and I met working together at Tap Coffee in Soho. Yeah. Um, I, and
0: love that. I love that place.
1: Yeah, yeah. Really great place. And we really enjoyed working there. Um, Luke was working there a little bit before I joined. Uh, they opened a new store on, on Wardour Street. I mean, it's now been there for, for quite some time, yeah. about five years or so. Oh, that's the one I'm, I normally go to. Yeah, yeah. It's quite long and thin mm. and, and has a coffee roaster in the back. Um, and I joined when they were... I'd actually been working at Giraffe. The It's like a kind of... Everyone knows it's like a kid's restaurant. The restaurant, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <And> I, I, <laughs> I mean, I blew up a lot of balloons. And,
0: um, <laughs> what was your best balloon?
1: Uh, well, it was just like... You, they're just like normal just balloons. Just a normal balloon? Yeah. <laughs> But like you know, I mean, keep the kids happy and then and the and the parents are happy basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was it was funny because I, I you know I, I grew up in in Australia and I moved here when I was eighteen. I'd, I'd kind of always wanted to live in London. Um, How come you moved here? Well, my my mum's English and uh, I I went to school here when I was about eleven um, for a little while
0: and was that in London?
1: Uh, just outside London, yeah. near, near Watford. Okay, um, and then um, yeah, like you know I I really enjoyed growing up in Australia but I'm pretty fortunate to have been over here like quite a few times visiting my my family my mum's family and you know when I was about 15 I remember coming and there was uh, I was was off school for about three months and during that time I just I would just go into London on my own and I just remember being like wow this is this place is incredible Uh, this is where I have to be and then yeah my my girlfriend at the time um, when I was about after I finished school she kind of convinced me that, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should like move to London and, you know, see what, maybe do like a two year kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, after that was kind of all I needed really, did it. And then uh, I've ended up staying for, yeah, just over eight years now. Amazing. But yeah, I guess, you know, I sort of, when I first came over, I haven't, I haven't been to university, um, not really for a lack of wanting to go. I've always, I love learning, but it just, I, I really wanted to be, like, fired up about whatever it was I was going to, you know, put myself through three, four years of, and I just couldn't really find anything. I initially wanted to, like, before I moved over here, I organised, like, a little music festival. Really? Yeah, I, was, I thought I wanted to be, like, a promoter and work in, like, A&R, and I was always into, like, the environment, like, I started an environment club when I was at school, which sounds kind of lame but I thought it was quite fun I got a free period so it was like that was quite cool from my perspective but um yeah like this this uh, the music festival was the idea was that all the tickets paid for, we tracked all of the carbon emissions of the whole event and then offset them and taught people about the various different types of carbon offsetting that you could do nice. and yeah raised like about $25,000 Australian dollars to do that when I was seventeen, and um, that was, but I just did it because I couldn't find a job, and I was like, I'm gonna just dive boredom here, I'm going get cabin fever, <laughs> yeah. and through asking someone for money for that, I got a job, and so that helped me to save up to, to eventually uh, come and move over here. Yeah, but you know, when I when I did move here, the the reality of London was just that maybe anywhere actually, it's just that you know there's such security in not having a network, um, whether it's through family or, or whatever that allows you to maybe, I just didn't know anyone, you know? And so what I thought was just going to be a walk in the park, like coming over here and like, yeah, I'd love to work in the music industry. That'd be awesome. Do some more event stuff. It just proved like way too difficult. I just couldn't, I couldn't sort of crack that. So I decided to to take this job at Giraffe, um, learned a lot about food and actually kind of realized how much I really love food. And learnt a little bit about coffee. I got quite interested in that, and in pretty much all all of my spare time, I used to just go to coffee shops. Yeah. And eventually, I was I was working pretty punishing hours at, at Giraffe. Like they were growing pretty quickly, and I was always the first one to go. Like, yeah, I'll work that shift, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of doing six doubles a week kind of thing, just to because I liked I quite like going on holiday and checking out Europe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'd never been so close to so many amazing places Australia's pretty isolated so I just wanted to get around and see as much as possible Mm -hmm. so you know after a little while of that about 18 months I just thought like man I need a change and the I used to go to workshop coffee down in in Marlebone near the restaurant I worked in and i'd you know the first time i went in there i, I ordered like a, a mocha <laughs> and they just about laughing out the room um but you know i became mates with some of the guys I'd, I'd go there just about every day on my on my lunch break and sit there and pretty quickly i was like wow these guys really love what they do and there's a pretty crude logic of just like they love what they do i'll do what they do and then i'll love what i do <laughs> yeah, and uh so I, I i tried to get a job there but I mean that's like one of the at the time it was just like one of the best
0: coffee shops in Europe was it like the little tiny it was little, like a tiny yeah. little one on Whitmore yeah, yeah. Street they closed it now haven't they they closed yeah. it
1: and moved it just around the corner Yeah, but you know it was amazing and, and I still keep in touch with some of the guys who, who work there mm. but yeah like they they kind of needed like a higher level so I looked around and I applied it at maybe like 40 different coffee places to work
0: and as a barista you wanted to
1: do as a barista yeah, yeah. and uh, I, was, I was lucky enough to get a chance with, with tap coffee and yeah I mean they at the time like they were they had like this amazing sort of approach of taking people who knew nothing about coffee and they really wanted to like mould them to their training style which you know maybe probably wouldn't necessarily work for everyone but really worked for me because I didn't know I didn't really know anything and Mm -hmm. I was like yeah mold me Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I got like two weeks of solid training before I was allowed to serve any customers and I I loved it I thought it was amazing and I just fell like deeply deeply into coffee I just wanted to know everything I was like coming in two hours before work and like tasting the coffees that we had on the menu and like trying to trying to understand like you know I, I never really got maths or science science in particular and i could suddenly i was like you know on on google like working out like the difference between like the mesomorph and the endosperm of like a coffee cherry and i was like oh my god i think this is not normal (laughs) and uh the the guys bought a coffee roaster and just like, does anyone want to have a go and um I just thought, oh man, everyone's going to say yes and literally no one else put their hand up and I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'd love that, that'd be amazing. So I was pretty fortunate to, you know, within three months of basically having a job in coffee to get the chance to learn how to roast coffee as right. well and uh, I mean, that's I think that's pretty unheard of really and, you know, that roasting coffee makes you a, a much, much better barista because you understand, like, how it, how it got there kind mm-hmm. of thing and, and you're able to kind of react a little bit earlier even maybe like half a second earlier than somebody else might do but it can make a bit of a difference Um, and it just meant that I was more confident like talking to my other colleagues and to customers about like about the coffee and, and I think like at that kind of age I was like 20, 21 you know having something that you feel like an expert in is like really really powerful and I'd never really I felt like as though that wasn't going to be possible for someone who hadn't been to university yeah. and so it really gave me like a sense of purpose and a sense of identity and um, yeah I mean so it became important to me but I guess uh, that's kind of how I got to that point and yeah. then um, Luke and I became really good mates he he and I were managing two of the three tap cafes um, for, for about a year or so and so we had like matching shifts um, we'd worked together for maybe six months or so pretty much every day on the opening of the new store and become really good mates and once we s- split out to manage um, two of the three shops then we, we had like matching shifts and we both lived in Stoke Newington so we kind of cycle home together and like stop off at the pub on the way a few times and it became clear that like we both had this like desire to, to start our own businesses and we'd, we'd had like we'd made attempts before and we both kind of never quite got there but with between the two of us, I think we like started to develop a bit of a momentum and a bit of a belief that like we could push each other to do something that we'd never managed to do on our own. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that's that's pretty pretty classic story, really. And yeah, we I guess that kind of running in parallel to all of that sort of stuff happening, we I guess the way I usually explain it is that like when you're when you're a barista, you sort of drink your mistakes, like. Which sounds a bit weird, but you, um, when someone orders like a flat white, and then you, you put it through the till, and it comes out on the ticket and whatever, and then two seconds later they go, oh, it's actually, sorry, can I can I change that to a to an Americano you go yeah yeah cool no problem and you've already half made the flat whites. So you go well alright I'll just drink that and I'll make you this other one and you start drinking like all these coffees that you've made <laughs> mistakes on so you're drinking quite a lot of milk and then the next thing you know you're like wow I'm starting to like I'm getting bigger and bigger <laughs> <laughs> so between that and then like learning about the roasting um, you know I was like I really wanted to like we all all of the team we've got more and more into black coffee yeah um, that's, that's pretty pretty normal for people who work in coffee to they tend to drink a lot of black coffee Mm -hmm. i guess you can just taste maybe a little bit more of the character of like where the where the coffee might have come from um milk's not particularly good for you anyway right yeah i mean it was it was just more about like wanting to taste what we'd made Mm -hmm. in in like literally the back of the shop and with this you know roasting in the same place that you're serving the coffee So we're all kind of into black coffee. And then when summer rolls around, you know, the, the guys at tap, you know, one of the guys was from, from the U S and I'm not sure whether that was, that was why, but they, they had like cold brew on the menu. And that was the first time that I'd ever discovered it. And back in about 2012. Really, And, um, yeah, we or 2013 maybe. And yeah, we, it was just like the same black coffee that we'd come to love, like this filter, you know, pour over drip filter Mm. style, but cold and it wasn't like it wasn't bitter and it was just like it was we used to make it pretty strong so it was like you know that's (laughs) going to get you going and yeah it was just like it's just amazing and it kind of it was like a completely new experience for us and and we just got really enthusiastic about it and when our customers are enthusiastic about it and suddenly like cappuccino guys is ordering a cold brew like five times a week we're just like wow there's really something in this Mm. and so I guess like that whole environment of like that stuff happening together with you know these like sort of trips home via the pub and like sort of you know getting a bit of Dutch courage to to like start something we're like maybe we should start a cold brew company and we start asking around you know some of our mates at other cafes maybe on the way home or or on the way to work and asking them if they're you know, if they're selling a lot of cold brew, and they're like, actually, you know what? It is starting to pick up, and we'd ask them, like, how are you doing it? And they're just like, oh, it's just a sort of, just a back-of-house operation. We're just doing it on the fly, really. And that was pretty similar to what we were doing. It was, we could never really keep it in stock, and, you know, people are, like, coming into this trendy cafe, and they're like, you know, it's 10 a.m., and asking for a cold brew, and you, you're like, oh, I'm really sorry, we've sold out. And they're like, you know, you hipsters need to get your shit together. <laughs> Um, and we just thought, like, man, this this is crazy. There's there's we're the people to do it, and there's an opportunity here to make to make like a wholesale available thing that cafes could sell in summer instead of like Coca Cola or, or bottles of water. Which you know when you're when you're a cafe, like that's what you want to be selling, like a specialty, really carefully sourced coffee product. Mm-hmm. And we just thought like that was that would be. Uh, we were just like, let's have a go so yeah we started out um with like a hundred samples and we just sort of gave them to people that we would met in the cafe or people that we knew already and um we just said like you know we're, this is you know we're looking and here and this is our new thing that we're trying out and if you uh we'd love it if you'd post it on instagram or put it on yeah. you know get back to us on twitter and you know if you if you do then maybe we'll keep doing it and if you don't then Maybe there's, there's nothing in this. Yeah. And pretty much just about everyone just put it on their Instagram or Twitter or something. And we just thought, wow, okay, I guess we've got to do this now.
0: <laughs> um, Baptism by fire.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, you know, we were literally brewing it. At the first, I've still got like a video. You know, we've, we've made the first batch in our kitchen with a couple of mates came around. No way. We were, um, we took like, I, I roasted the coffee and we, you know, we just used like, it was like Morrison's still water like bottled water (laughs) and we just we bought this like a hundred liter sort of home brewing stainless steel tank it's kind of like a big uh stock pot (laughs) it's probably more accurate to be honest it was i mean it was pretty basic and uh we just put everything in like a, a muslin bag i mean bag is a strong word basically luke sewed like a makeshift pillow out of muslin on his sister's sewing machine and uh, we just put this coffee in and yeah, we, we we tried out a few things. We tried out like, you know, we, we started brewing it and then we took samples at like 12 hours and 12 and a half hours, 13, 14. And then we were just like, you know what, 16 is... It tastes good and it's also quite a convenient amount of time if we do the if we start brewing at about eight o'clock then the next day it's like a pretty decent time <laughs> to start work. <laughs> so that was uh, it was kind of a mixture of the two really. And it, it it got a lot more bitter after about sort of twenty hours or so. And so that was pretty much how it started. And then we started tweaking all the rest of it, like the re- the water recipe, the the way we roasted the coffee, the um like the grind size, you know, you want it to be as, as coarse as possible because yeah. the longer it sits there, like, it goes into the coffee and you want to extract as much as you possibly can.
0: So you um, want a thin grind?
1: No, really coarse. Really you, coarse. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so I guess, like, the way I normally explain it is that, like, if you, you, you've you got, like, sort of three ways you can make coffee, like, really fine grind it, you would use for espresso, and so um, it's got like, because it's so finely ground, you've got like the maximum surface area. But in order to, because it's so tightly packed, almost like sand, you need pressure and hot water to actually extract something. But because of the pressure, that's where you, it extracts kind mm. of an emulsion, like this oil in water, like espresso emulsion. Yeah. That's why you get like this, that golden crema. Yeah. Um, and that takes about 30 seconds. And then, you know, if you take away the pressure and you're just making coffee with, with hot water and you're pouring over the, the hot water over the coffee, it's gonna take about, you know, somewhere between like three and five minutes. Um, and you, you would go a little bit coarser uh, because like there's longer contact time. And the longer the contact time there is, the the coarser you wanna go. And so when you take away the pressure and the hot water, and you're left with you know cold water to extract this coffee. You want it to be as coarse as possible because yeah. it's going to take a lot longer. And so it's just a, it's like a balance. You know, you're just trying to balance all of these different things. And so we were we were just trying out like how can we do as many constants as possible so that when we do a little experiment, we can we can move on quickly. Yeah. It's so, crazy, like it's a it's a proper art, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was um, yeah, it was a pretty quick like learning curve on that stuff. You know, we lived together at the time when we were starting out Sandals and that that can be difficult to do maybe forever but at the time it was like you know we're in the room next to each other and you sort of we used to joke that it was like you know you knock on the window or knock on the on the wall it's like man i've had an idea <laughs> <laughs> uh, but maybe that's maybe that's uh, taking it too far but we we definitely like being in the same space like we didn't waste any time and we were able to um, we were able to just like iterate super fast and and kind of you know we worked sort of you know we we're still working full-time well we split one role between two at tap initially um doing i think it was like seven or eight shifts between the two of us there each week and they i mean that was really supportive of them to yeah. let us do that and then we we needed more space than our kitchen could allow and we felt that that wasn't hygienic enough <laughs> so we asked a guy that had, had used to work at tap coffee um his name's Danis he had a cafe up on Holloway Road called Vagabond. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he... No. There used to be one just down the road. Yeah, yeah, they? Stride Green Road, yeah. 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 They, um, so he had, like, a basement space going in, in his uh, spot on Holloway Road. Perfect. And we were just like, mate, can we, can we rent that basement off you? And we came to an agreement where we would trade the wholesale value of the cold brew and a couple of shifts a week in the bar there for the rent. And, you know, anything left over we would pay sort of in cash. Yeah. Or, you know, by a bank transfer. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <Official>. uh, <yeah. laughs> Actually, to be honest, it was mostly cash only for the first year or so. <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, so that was, that again, really supportive. And so we used to, we'd be doing, I'd be doing four shifts a week at TAP, two shifts a week at, at Vagabond. And on the other day, we would do all of the, um, well, the night before, we would set off the, the brew and then, they, the day after we'd come in and we would basically filter all of the coffee and then package everything uh, so would, yeah by hand we'd be sort of making sure that all of the bottles were sterilized and then yeah just like filling capping by hand using a, like a, a semi-automated capping machine to get like a really professional finish yeah. and then sticking the labels on and, and actually writing the used by. And the origin of the coffee on the label on every single one, and then putting them in boxes. Mm. Actually, the first week we forgot, we didn't think about boxes, so we we're just like, oh man, this is <laughs> so. We just had to tell everyone, like, it's gonna be one more day, and we just went and bought some boxes. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, wow, of all the things to forget, that's that's crazy.
0: Mate, it sounds so good though, like, the Obviously, a lot of hard work goes into it as well. And you said we just decided to give it a go, and that's yeah. amazing. But it's, it's such a common theme on this podcast is talking about or being involved in things that you're so massively passionate about. Yeah, and that's obviously led you down the path to being where you are today, and obviously enjoying that. Yeah, as yeah. much as possible. Something else I'm interested to ask you about is you spoke about your business partner Luke. Yeah, and there's been people on here. We spoke about Ugly Water with sure. uh, Hugh and Joe. Yeah, I live with Joe. Do you live with yeah. Joe yeah. No yeah. So do you also live with Lily? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a weird connection. Anyway. (laughs) And yeah, like people like The Tempest too, like my brother and Tommy. Yeah. yeah, And then we've had Jamie George on the podcast, who's just recently opened a physiotherapy clinic called Carter and George. So he works with his business partner. Okay. Like, what's the importance of having someone next to you as a co-founder along for the ride and kind of encouraging you? Has that been like a massive thing? And how do you think it would have differed if you might have gone about this on your own? I mean, I definitely don't feel like I could have done
1: it on my own, you know, the, the, I don't think that you can, I don't think that you can sort of paint it with a broad brush, like you can't just have anyone as your business partner, it, the, the key is trust and, you know, Luke and I were really good mates already, we'd worked, we actually had already worked together for, you know, every year and so there'd, there'd been a lot of trust developed there already and, I think that, like you know, we've we've had friends who whose businesses have not worked out, and whether whether it's because like they just couldn't get through to that product market fit fast enough, mm-hmm. or because they, they fell out, you know, that's that can happen. It, it can be tough, you know, whatever reason that is. But I've I've always felt like as though, as much as like you know, I can, I'm sure I'm super frustrating to Luke, and sometimes he can he can really like grind my gears. But um, I I always know that I can. I have like complete trust, yeah. and uh, even if sometimes like he'll he'll do something that will annoy me or whatever. When it comes down to it, you know, like I've I've like fallen off my bike before, and he's he's like come and see me at the hospital or something like that, you know, just to make sure I'm okay. Yeah. And that's you know just someone being there, and like even just just something simple like you know you're okay, mate, like and actually wanting to know the answer and and like. I think it's really really important and something that is is definitely like you know needs could do with more talking about to
0: be honest. <laughs> I think that this is pro- something I've noticed about this is that most people who seem to have successful businesses with a business partner yeah. it's someone that they've either worked with before yeah, or they weren't necessarily like best best friends before yeah, they went yeah. on the venture together because and I don't know why that is but maybe they haven't got massive expectations of one another or mm. the relationship wasn't purely built around just being friends for a long period of time. Like, you have a, a common interest because you've worked together. Yeah. You understand how each other work already. Yeah. And then you kind of go on that business journey together. And I think that Definitely. seems to work.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, um, I, I think that there's, there's like a, a hurdle. If, if you are two friends that start something, like Luke and I, um, we got to a point working in the basement at Vagabond. You know, we have been doing it for maybe six months. And we had. I think we were just about to you know we were in Selfridges and we we're in Source Market and Fortnum's and it was really starting to pick up and and I think there I remember there being a day where we sort of had to go I, I was <laughs> it was a really really small space so we sort of like crammed in next to each other on our laptops like you know if he if he needed to use like the escape key it was gonna he's gonna be bumping me. <laughs> um and uh I just remember look, he looked over at what I was doing, and I looked over at what he was doing, and we were both just like, "I'm doing that," and it was really annoying. Um, and you know, it led to this. We I think we sort of had a bit of a brief falling out. I was like, "Ah, oh, you dickhead!" But we we sort of decided like, "All right, let's be let's be more mature about this." And you know, what are you good at? What do you like doing? what are you good at and what do you like doing and we sort of answered it for ourselves and then we answered for each other and we decided to split it out a little bit more more carefully and it became clear that like what I really enjoyed doing was the more like I love maintaining building and maintaining relationships Um, and so I sort of took on a bit more of the sales and marketing and like looking after our customers Mm -hmm. whereas Luke really loves he's, he's really driven by seeing results and you know Feeling proud of like if he sort of had a pile of stuff and then ended up building something by the end of the day, he's like, I built that, and so we felt like it made a lot of sense for him to to take on product, mm-hmm. and you know he's done a great job of you know, we've now got six products, and across four different packaging formats, uh, in three different countries, and yeah. <laughs> it's it's mad. There's a load of load of different stuff that he's he's always like continuing to surprise me with his ability to kind of just yeah. work that sort of stuff out. Sounds but right. um, yeah, it's you know I think that unless you do that, you can have as much trust and you can you can kind of like each other as much as you want. But until you you sort of get down to brass tacks and say like I'm going to do this, you're going to do this, and this is where we're going, it's it's a bit of a you're on a bit of a hiding nothing. Yeah, yeah, that strategy. Yeah, mate. How much caffeine is in this? <laughs> <laughs> so this one is about eighty milligrams. So it's um, I mean it's 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 like a a strong coffee
0: is it, It's like a strong coffee. Yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, you were saying that a lot of people who are like baristas and stuff will typically drink a filter. Yeah, and I was reading the other day from a nutrition standpoint. Anyway, like having it with water releases the caffeine into the bloodstream quicker. Yeah, whereas with milk, it's a slower release. Yeah, so you don't yeah. feel that there's protein. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so you don't feel that hit as quick. Yeah, but I yeah. mean the cold brew is.
1: I think I mean it's, it's completely a theory, but I feel like the sl- the lower temperature helps it to get into your bloodstream Mm, faster as well but that's just like that's just me going there's got to be something to this like because it's i'm I'm buzzing i feel like i'm floating yeah (laughs) yeah exactly
0: so mate you you started to talk a little bit about it there and you mentioned some of the other products and new products that you've got yeah yeah some of the ones we've got here today the nitro coffee as well could you give us a bit of an update as to where you are now then you've spoken about the journey and how it came about where are you today? Obviously, fantastic news with what you have done with Sainsbury's, and, yeah, yeah. and just give us a bit of an update <laughs> on how big you guys are.
1: Sure. So, I mean, I guess like from the beginning, we started out with we the, when we worked at Tap Coffee, we used to make like a, a small little brown medicine bottle, and you know, for the cold brew that we sold there, and it was we felt like as though it had a sort of um, people would ask us like oh is this stuff like is this medicine or is this like really really strong am I going to be okay if I drink this and we were like well you know the, the liquid's brown anyway so let's put it in a clear bottle and it was actually like we were, we were on a night out and bought a small bottle of we had a bit of a rum phase and bought a bit of a like a small quart of um, Captain Morgan's nice. and it, I remember like this bottle's perfect and so we sort of looked into it and it was actually possible to buy it in a relatively small quantity And all we needed to do was buy this capping machine, which is, I think it's about three or four grand, which was more than we had at the time, but something that was, we could save for. Mm -hmm. So we got, we got started with this glass flask, which I guess is kind of what we're, what we're known for. Um, It's sort of often imitated, but never replicated. Um, Really? Yeah. Other people have tried it. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, there's some, there's some shockers. (laughs) I think the glass bottle looks awesome, though. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I it's 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 funny because like I don't think we really knew what we were doing at the time, but what we what I guess we were doing was um we were referencing alcohol in order to convey like a higher like a premium mm. value proposition. It's actually using clear or like see through packaging. Is actually a classic clean label technique because if you can see it, like you know, there's nothing to hide and that kind of thing, and all of this stuff we didn't really realise we were doing it until people had like picked it apart later and said, "Oh, that was really smart," and we were like, "Oh yeah yeah, 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 that was totally on purpose." And I guess like between that and then and our design, you know, we have like quite a striking blue set of blue cross barbells on the front of the packaging, which is. Uh, that's kind of in in homage to eugene sandal who we've named yeah. the brand after
0: yeah tell us what the sandals name means so we when, when
1: we were starting out we were actually going to be called london cold brew um we we're just like wow yeah we're gonna own london like let's let's go big with that name and um, <laughs> and then we sort of we started with that and it was a bit of a work in progress and when we got we, we started working with uh, these designers called studio thomas two guys called thomas and they were just leaving their jobs at the same time as us, and so it was quite, it's quite—it's quite a really. We still work with them, and they've done everything for us, all the packaging for all of our products and our website and and everything. And uh, it's quite a sort of special partnership. But you know, those guys, everything that we could come up with with uh, London Cold Brew ended up looking a bit like Thames Water, and uh, we just thought like, oh, maybe this isn't it. And one of the things we were asking was because we had this bottle this sort of like whiskey flask almost like tonic sort of medicinal style flat flask we thought you know it's sort of victorian maybe we should have like a victorian strongman because the cold brew strong and again like pretty basic logic so i remember i actually remember it really clearly we were at the pub with our flatmates luke and i i just googled victorian strongman and just about the first hundred results came up for this one guy who I'd never heard of and his name's Eugene Sandow and he's kind of remembered as like the iconic Victorian strongman Mm. when you, uh, or or sort of weightlifter bodybuilder and for example like when Arnold Schwarzenegger won Mr. Universe, the trophy is a Sandow and I found it really amazing that it's only like it's less than 150 years ago and this guy's almost completely forgotten we went to the British Library and we did some, um, did some research on him and got out a load of books about him and it was it's amazing He's, this guy's like one of the most famous people in the world at one point you know he at a time before TV and even radio people in Australia like knew who he was just from like newspapers before he got there and it's it's kind of amazing. people used to pay money to kiss his muscles and uh, you know like most guys who start a business, Luke and I were like. Sweet, that's, We could do some of that, and <laughs> um, <laughs> still, still waiting on that one to come through. I think, but it'd be nice if we had some muscles, but the, um, you know, we uh, we just thought like, like what really got got us was that he he used to study the statues of. Uh, in in museums and that sort of thing of uh, the Grecian athlete, which is this idea of the perfect muscular proportions that Grecian athletes um, tried to apply, to, you know, to their physique. And the idea is that everything is rather than being just bigger and bigger and bigger, everything's in proportion, and it's all it's about strength and perfection. And he got obsessed with this and started like curating his exercise, you know, doing little like pinky curls and things like that in order to have every single muscle to a specific set of muscular um, measurements and he's sort of, there's like pictures of him carrying like 12 people on top of a uh, on top of a sort of pylon steel pylon or something like that and it's a steel girder and uh, I think most of it's probably just jokes but he's um, you know we just thought like wow we, we interpreted that and we looked at it as like you know unusual methods to strive for perfection and we're just like wow you know that's that's what we're doing we're taking we're using cold coffee or cold water sorry to to brew coffee and make it taste like a little bit more distinctive and smooth and so we thought you know what better than to to name the brand after him and we don't, you know, we're, we're already at pretty grave danger of coming across as massive hipsters with a cold brew coffee brand out of East London. So we thought, you know what, we'll, we'll kind of like lead with the blue barbells, which is like a symbolic reference to that. Um, and we wanted to be like the British cold brew, where we sort of call ourselves the original British cold brew. And, was he British then? Uh, he was actually German, but was came he? to London to sort of seek his fortune. Right. But I guess the, the reasoning behind that is that like... In, when we were setting up a lot of the stuff that we were referencing was from the US. Cold brew is a lot bigger in the US mm-hmm. and uh, I guess that's because people in the US have like what they consider to be like coffee or coffee, you know it's like, <laughs> like This is, this is destined uh, for Brooklyn, if not already, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, uh, they're, they're used to like that diner style of that's yeah. what they think of when they think of coffee. Whereas here, most people drink coffee with milk. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of, for them to go from that diner style, like really bitter, almost like airport coffee, in a you know like unlimited sort of refills mm. kind of style, to cold brew, which is really smooth and not bitter. Obviously, it's like night and day, and they're just like, "Well, I will buy this. This is, this is way better." Mm. Whereas in the UK, obviously, it's it's taken us a little bit longer. There's a bit more education to do because you've got kind of almost like two hurdles to jump over. Mm. People moving people along from like uh maybe like just white coffee, like instant coffee at home, onto like specialty coffee, like flat whites and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then onto understanding like that filter coffee doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be airport coffee. Yeah. And then, you know, another step beyond that is to get them to understand cold brewing. We get a lot of people who are like, you know, do you drink it hot? And you just go, Well no. <laughs> like why would we brew it cold? put it in a package and then give it to you so you have to go home and put it in the microwave that's crazy <laughs> but um, nice. yeah, I, I don't know it's just yeah you can't you can't just go like oh this thing's big in the US it's going to be huge yeah. in the UK you have to really like get to know your audience a bit Yeah,
0: more. no mate I think it's interesting and first of all I absolutely love the story behind Sandals <laughs> I actually, mate, it actually makes me love the brand awesome. everything I'm, I'm a lot <laughs> I, know, I think it sounds amazing and to talk on a little bit on like the airport coffee versus like a cold brew and that journey or whatever yeah read a book called i think it's called onward okay howard schultz oh yeah he's yeah, yeah. yeah. CEO, he a, founder
1: he's of... just finished up as ceo of starbucks has right? he yeah yeah he's just moved on he's, so he's got presidential uh, ambitions apparently oh really Jesus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But he's got a good book at least yeah, yeah. <laughs> his book onward is awesome and it talks about how people started making that journey from like your typical filter coffee yeah uh over to like these what they say like hipster coffees like yeah, flat yeah. whites and like an italian noise. coffee yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah. and one of the things that you spoke about in the book was how the uk were like 97 percent of the uk just drank like instant coffee yeah so i guess it's interesting to see from you yeah. especially as like the first cold brew in the uk yeah and here like how you're breaking into a new market and kind of leading that space as well yeah
1: definitely i mean we, we the way we look at it is like we just have to the only way that you can ever change this is just to give every single person like personalized and individual explanation Mm. Um, and then eventually they start to tell each other and then it starts to gain traction and 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 you you can move a little bit faster but in the meantime you know we we've put a lot of emphasis on on sampling people you know doing demonstrations uh you know i'm I'm proud to say that over the last four years we've we've sampled like you know well over a hundred thousand people you know a lot of that is luke and myself i mean one of our sort of crazy stories is that you, your brother would know working at Vitacoco when you normally when you go and do a like a, a demo of a product you, you come in for like a sort of a power hour and you're just like trying to sign everyone up to like, like hey try this try this and it's exhausting so you, you you can just do like a short sharp burst maybe two hours over lunch or something uh, and then you go and where, I remember when we first got into to source market we we um, <laughs> they said would you guys come and do some sampling and, and we were like yeah cool like, no problem when do you when do you open and they were like oh, we're open 7 till 7 7 days a week and we said uh okay well i guess we'll just come and do that then <laughs> and so we we turned up with our bar and uh we which
0: one was it uh king's cross king's cross, kings cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: and we um we didn't really ask any questions we were just a bit naive and so between luke and and me we did seven two or seven for a whole week and uh I mean I must have I was I was so tired at the end of that but oh, we definitely earned the respect of all the staff because we were there before and after them just about every day and you know it's about one and a half million people that go through that station every week and uh so we we definitely got in front of a lot of people yeah. we we're pretty fortunate to be um, in the Eurostyle magazine at the same time, which is, I don't, that just came out of nowhere, um, which was cool. And, you know, so a few people had come off the train and they're like, oh, wow, I just read about this. And, <laughs> you know, I think that there's there's that element of, you know, just trying to get in front of as many people like that and taking those opportunities that, that has been big for us. Yeah. But, um, I mean, just, I actually, I read this book recently by a guy called David Gluckman, who was, he's, the guy who invented Bailey's (laughs) and he what's it called? it's called that shit will never sell Um, and I I was was, we are out Luke and I were at the Diageo customer collaboration centre which is this crazy place where they can like project images of like the Bahamas up on the wall when you're when you're drinking you know (sighs) rum so that you feel like you're there or something like that And, and you can like share a screen with someone in Singapore or something like that and, and make cocktails at the same time. It, I mean, it's absolutely insane. we have yeah. got like a full scale model of a, an airport and full scale model of a pub and
0: for for what like ads for, or? for product merchandising, right? And, that sort nice. of thing.
1: and we were just like blown away by that place. And yeah. then we got chatting to these guys, and they this one of the guys there, Tom, recommended that he said, "Have you have you read this book?" And because Bailey's is, is one of their brands, and um, uh, it sort of stuck with me. So I, I went on Amazon and wasn't there, and then I, I ended up buying it from this really niche bookstore in in Oxford, and um, I I read it really quickly. I just I, I just loved his like storytelling, and and uh, you know I think some of it is. My dad always said uh, never spoil a good story by telling the whole truth, and I think he's he's like quite um, quite a good storyteller. And you know, some of it uh, is—I'm sure there's there's much more to the stories, but he's he's definitely honed some of these stories to their best versions. And um, there's one bit that really stuck with me, and I think it's relevant to to the cold brew and, and to a lot of other products actually, was that there's a sense of of ritual and comfort that he he was always striving to create like a ready to drink cocktail and always kept on coming back to you just you just couldn't get people to move away from beer and move into some any other sort of category and was saying the thing about beer is that like it has this there's a hurdle that you have to get over and it's sort of like it puts you into a club the first time you drink a beer it's, it's likely that you don't like it because it's it's bitter and it's like you know hoppy and whatever mm. depending on what you're drinking. But it's um you know once people get past that, it's a rite of passage and it becomes this habitual thing that suddenly like this thing that you didn't initially like the first time becomes your go-to and and yeah. something that you you end up you don't even think you just oh yeah I'll have a pint please yeah and. You know, that's probably true of other other um, products as well. I mean, he was particularly talking about beer, but I mean, I'm sure it's kind of similar for maybe like red wine or, or whiskey or something like that or just about anything. Um, sure, lots of different foods as well, maybe like, I don't know, olives or dark chocolate. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> the list goes on, but it's... Um, I think that, you know, for us, that's... It's, it seems like as though what we need to do is get... Um, people need to try cold brew like 10 different times um and we just have to accept that like not every single one of those times is probably going to be a Sanders experience, but we just have to focus on making sure that ours is always the most memorable, yeah. hopefully in a like it's, we focus on really good value and also just trying to deliver like the best possible drinking experience. Yeah. But um I guess like with all of that, you know we we initially went from like that glass flask format, and over sort of four years the first thing we introduced was was a draft uh, format which is infused with nitrogen that I mean that was super hard to work out like it it's probably took us a solid three years before it was really sort of really actually good and you know we've got that in like uh Shoreditch Grind for example and Crosstown Donuts have it across the mm-hmm. sort of about five or six sites now and the you know, it, the putting the nitrogen, you sort of infuse nitrogen into the coffee on, on route to the on route to the tap, and it um, pours with a almost like it looks a bit like Guinness, but it, it doesn't have quite the same texture. But it's, it is creamier, um, almost like it's it's like lighter, and I mean it's just delicious. Like it's it's really like glossy and, and just like very very different drinking experience and so it's, it's like a black coffee that looks
0: like it has milk in it but doesn't and it's, so it's the nitric oxide that gives it that like frothy
1: yeah it's, it's nitrogen so it's like a we, we just buy like food grade nitrogen and it gets we use like a, a system that puts the nitrogen in each in each serve rather than pre-infusing it and yeah. so we get like the most nitrogen you could you could get into each serve <sighs> nice. um, so it kind of cascades in the, in the glass and that sort of thing and it's I mean that's like really sort of Luke's labour of love yeah. I guess and we've gone through various different iterations from like using these like Cornelius kegs that people use for home brewing through to key kegs which are like a plastic recyclable um, and and not reusable but like recyclable keg yeah. and now we use like a, a bag in box system um just for a lot of different reasons but um there's that and then i guess that the next thing was that we we started getting a lot of bartenders who i mean they're pretty hot on like new drinking new drink trends and we had we just had so many people asking us like have you guys ever thought of doing something for espresso martinis oh, mate, yeah um because the thing about espresso martinis is that like the the bar loves it because it's often the top selling drink in the UK it's, it's I think it's on en route to this year become the, the top selling cocktail in the UK and um, people who buy it they love it too it's you know it's one person it's the kind of drink where you know, you, you sell one and then you'll sell a 100 because everyone's like, ooh, let's let's get 15 yeah. espresso martinis. And then the guy behind the bar is like rolling. his eyes, He's like, ah, <laughs> which genius had this idea? And we just thought like, that's crazy. We, we never really wanted to do anything. We were just like, no, I'm just going to focus on cold brew. But we just kept getting this again and again and again. And I just thought, you know, if we could, we, we, we really like food and love hospitality. And we just it kind of brought us back to, why does it have to be like that? Imagine if we are the people who could sort of solve this, this problem for bartenders of of feeling like, oh, not another round of fifty espresso martinis, mm. that's so annoying. Because if everyone along the chain could enjoy it, then, you know, it would just be amazing. And um so we developed this product and the the real difficulty with that is that espresso is that, that you would normally use and most bars that do any decent volume of espresso martinis will actually spend most of the day preparing espresso for the evening. So by the time it, you drink that drink, it's actually like that, that espresso was made probably six hours ago. Mm. And, you know, you had it, well, some people feel better about that than other people. <laughs> I'm not, I'm like, I'm not sure about that. Um, but th- that's just the only way for them to yeah. actually sort of make that much. So we save them the time making it. Yeah, And then it's you just open it and then pour it in and that's the job done. Yeah. And then we're actually because we make it in bulk um, we're able to kind of match match them for pricing uh, a lot of the oh, time yeah. and we you know we use coffee that is uh, it's, it's basically like exactly the same every single time um, so imagine if you've got like 10 bars or you know we supply that to all bar one for example for all of their espresso martinis and yeah. that's 50 50 bars and they, they they use it because it allows them to like you know remove that prep time yeah. focus their team on what matters which is hospitality yeah. And you know they're able to have like unrivalled consistency across across the group as well. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of where we got to with that one. And then the I guess the cans <laughs> is sort of the last thing. But the um, we've just in the last six months introduced these this, a, a range of three stubby cans. So they're like quite squat, the same width as like a normal three thirty mil can, but they're a little bit shorter. Um, we did that because we wanted it to be quite distinctive and to different from what else is on the shelf and also because I mean as you can probably attest like that's that's as much coffee as you need in one go 330ml um, yeah. of, of, of this recipe is I mean it's probably going to be too much for most people and so that sort of led us to here and yeah I mean like the to do one can like the minimum orders are such that you know we would have had to order like 300,000 of of one printed can, um, and we just thought like well, maybe we could sort of hedge our bets a bit and introduce a couple of flavors at once. Yeah. Um, we're not against like milk or um, or you know dairy alternatives in a, in a product. You know, I think there's definitely room for like range extensions in the future. But we we wanted to do something that helped to solidify our image at Sandals as like the sort of thought leaders in cold brew in the UK and Europe and. Doing stuff differently and and really trying to come back to that whole ethos of like unusual methods to strive for perfection or yeah. or at least something interesting and something exciting.
0: Yeah, and it's great,
1: mate. and so we did. Uh, we decided to do a range of two cold brew sodas or sort of coffee sodas. So there we use uh, it's about fifty percent cold brew coffee as the base, and then they have uh, like a carbonated blend of natural flavors. So citrus one is lemon, lime, and grapefruit. And, I mean, if you want to crack it, like, go for it there. I mean, we'll do both. Why not? Right. <coughs> that's, um, that's, that's probably edging it as my favourite right now. This one? Yeah, I think okay. so. But, I mean, I kind of, like, oscillate between the two, really. It smells banging already. Yeah. So, the spice one that you're drinking there, that's, uh, like, orange, ginger, black spice, and, and mandarin. I like that it. Wow, nice. Amazing. <laughs> that's unreal. We wanted to do something that was like, you know, using coffee, you get like, obviously that natural caffeine, they're they're not like, uh, the caffeine comes from the coffee. It's got a mulled wine vibe
0: about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, that one's kind of, we get like, uh, masala chai, or like Christmas, or it tastes a bit like Coke, or something like that, and it's, you know, all these things are nice things for people
0: to say, so that's good. We get a lot of people
1: who just go like, it's weird, but
0: good. Really, really nice. Um, And then, yeah, we try this guy as well. I'm going to be absolutely buzzing. <laughs> do a lap in the block or something.
1: Mm. And that was more like a sort of coffee lemonade. Nice. well, nice as yeah. well. Jesus.
0: They're so good, mate.
1: So, yeah, I guess like the... We, 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 it's funny because like really we did the cans in order to get like the original cold brew from like the flask format. That's only really possible for us to, to do uh, like quite a premium positioning on that. You know, we make every bottle by hand at the moment and and it, and it just has, like, we have to bottom out at a certain price. We just can't go any lower without automating everything. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just not doing the volume to be able to do that just yeah. yet. And so, um, you know, the we, we wanted a way to get the same product into a format where basically people like us who probably did, you know, one trip to selfridges for every 200 trips to sainsbury's as as much as we're like super super proud to have selfridges like one of our first and and longest and and best performing stockists um you know we we were just like we it's people like us who are going to buy this product Mm. let's put it where people like us are going and in order to do that like that's that's a really long process and we decided to sort of you know the whole point of it was to to get it to a price point where we could make cold brew, we could try and overcome some of those issues or challenges, I'd probably say, um, with, you know, cold brew being so different to what people used to coffee-wise. And we thought if we could get to, like, a really competitive price point and get it into, like, a grocery distribution, we'd we'd be in front of so many new people and it would help us to grow, you know, awareness (coughs) of what we're doing.
0: So, mate, you were saying then that you were in... Selfridges Fortnum Mason Yeah Shortage Grind All yeah. Bar One
1: Yeah I mean like um, Across the various um, The various products Like You know One thing that's really Interesting about us Is that there's There's just not That many Companies I know That you know The people who are Behind the brand Like take A raw material And, and take it All the way through From Their kitchen Or whatever And oversee it All the way through to To grocery Without using Like flavour houses And stuff like that Along the way and um, you know where we also have like a really we just love like our stockist list is is full of some like really cool people and, and actually for me it's like it's really helped me to like you know I've made a lot of friends through it and um, you know that's it's made my sort of experience of London like completely different and 10,000 10, times better mm. so we you know we work with um, Selfridges luxury retailers like Selfridges Fortnum's Harvey Nicks Harrods uh, we're on a cardo with the flasks. Um, we sell to Whole Foods with with all of the ready to drink stuff and Source Market, um, where the like the cold brew partner for Soho House. Uh, we work with Grind, um, and then there's I mean lots of independent coffee shops. Some like many of the the best independent coffee shops in the UK, and it's it's kind of crazy to be able to have like a product that sits in Soho House and yeah. you know independent coffee shops. But can also be in, in Sainsbury's, and and that's uh, that's something that's just recently happened for us.
0: Congratulations, mate! <laughs> Thank how, you. Uh,
1: how many yeah. units have you sold? Uh, well, altogether? Yeah, uh, I mean, it must be. I mean, it's because initially we were at four pounds for a glass flask. Yeah, it's probably lower than than some others, but I mean, it'd definitely be over a million for I mean, sure wow. across all products. I'd yeah. say. Um, or it'd probably be around that sort of number, I'd say. And how much does one of these come in at? So the the cans uh, in Sainsbury's are one pound fifty. I think they they put it at one pound sixty in in like central London. Yeah. But yeah, we we sort of pitched it in at one pound fifty oh, and. Yeah, it's just like, hopefully it makes it easier for people to make a bit of a trade-up from, you know, something like a, like a Coca-Cola yeah, or a Red Bull or sure. something. Or ugly water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, mate, I'm interested to know how it feels for you from having the idea when you and Luke were in TAP, yep. however many years ago. Was yep. it six years ago?
1: Uh, I mean, when we first started working there, but, yeah, yep. we left there probably four years ago. Okay. Yep.
0: So, four years ago, having the idea, and now being where you are today having your products that you've developed, you've sold, you've marketed and having them in all these different stores in these independent coffee shops, even in the bars for espresso martini. Yeah. How does that feel for you when you either go into these places or to speak to these companies and know that you're working with them?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like it, you, you I've just, I feel like, you know, you meet all these people who have businesses that are like whether they're cafes or, or restaurants or bars or whatever and you're able to have like a different experience of going in there you're you're a friend and you're you're a supplier um but you're you know you're able to sort of that you have like this mutual respect for each other that makes for like a really special sort of experience of of london and, and you know the, the rest of the uk as well and yeah. You know, I've, I think for me, that's that's something that I really um, I really take strength from that, and it's it's definitely not without its difficulties. I mean, it's been a pretty um, pretty tough journey for us. Um, you know, we've we've funded like multiple times now. We we used uh, Crowd CrowdCube, you mm-hmm. uh, know, but after about a year, raised 125 thousand pounds on there, and then since then we've gone on to to raise funds privately. Uh, a number of times successfully, so nice. it's close to probably eight hundred thousand altogether wow. now. But yeah, I mean, so you know, that's that's a learning experience as well, and um, I think that overall, like the the big sort of reflections on on the whole experience is just that you maybe whatever you can't own in in uh, equity, for example, of of your idea because you need you need funds, and really, I think it probably takes a solid two, three, five million pounds to make a beverage concept actually stick in the UK. Um, you um, you know, where we've learned so much and have such a breadth of experience across like some of the many, many, many mistakes that we've made. I mean, now when we make a mistake, it's just like, well, it doesn't even rank
0: compared <laughs> to some of the other ones. <laughs> What's been your biggest mistake?
1: Uh, well, the one I like telling people about is <laughs> we had a we had quite a funny story from um, we did a festival in the first year we maybe, maybe like four months in or something like that and the festival in it was in Victoria's Park at the time uh, rhymes with glove box but it's, <laughs> I won't say what it is um, it's um, we <laughs> we took out a stand there and it was it was expensive it was uh, really expensive and for us at the time, we had very little in the way of cash. We just thought like, this is our big break. Like, you know, people are get it's like the hot day of the year that, that day. Mm-hmm. Or that's what we thought, and it turned out actually it was the hottest day of the year. And you know, we, we we're just like, yeah, we'll do these little flyers. Like, come over with one of these, and it's, it'll be two pounds for a cold brew on ice. And we're giving out all these flyers, and people come back over to us, and uh, they're just like, is it beer? And when you go no no it's it's coffee they're just like okay cool bye Mm. and and we just we didn't I think we sold maybe six cold brews across two days and made about 12 pounds or something like that on cold brew and I guess like the lesson there was that what we did in order to bounce back from that was kind of the ultimate in resilience and ability to I mean, I was kind of panicking, I was like, oh, this is it, we're done, and Luke, you know, is a little bit more level-headed, he he was like, hang on, that's just, what can we do here, and we decided to, we sent someone who was, who was working with us, we had a bunch of our friends kind of helping us, you know, we were like, yeah, we're going to be super busy, like, we're going to need six people or something like that, so we're, we're you know, we're looking in the face of having all these people that we need to sort of pay, and um, I mean they're our mates so I think we probably would have just about got away with it but uh, no you know we'd made we actually got this coffee that was like a you know more expensive than what we would normally buy and we're just like yeah we're going to treat everyone it's going to be amazing and we made 60 litres of, of that and um, for, for the for the event and I remember you know we just tipped all of that out onto the grass next to our tent and washed out these two like plastic buckets that we had it in like it's kind of like a little it's like for home brewing this sort of keg thing and um we got one of the guys to to go to a tesco and they had an offer on double concentrate lemon cordial and it was two for a pound i remember so we were just like yeah just buy two and then bring it back here and we put that and some of the, the sugar syrup that we'd made up for the event into these buckets and then topped up with water just from the tap, right next to our tent, and we started selling it as uh, as fresh lemonade. No and off two pounds, we made seven hundred and fifty pounds um, because it was the hottest day of the year. And we started, we basically started buying bottles of water from from the festival that you have to buy it from the festival, and they have like a sort of fixed pricing on on what you can do. Um, I think it's like two pounds fifty or something, and we because we were the cold brew guys, you know, we we'd said to them like, oh, we need to have ice for our product, so let's bring ice in, and suddenly we're the only place with cold water, and we just have to keep going back and buying w- bottles of water as much as we can afford, as frequently as we can afford to go, and we're just like selling so much stuff. We're the only place in the whole thing without a queue, the only place with cold water and lemonade, and suddenly like things are looking up, and. You know, I think that first day we must have sold about a thousand bottles of water or something like that. And actually met this guy, JP, who's he's the founder of Crosstown. He'd actually been a um Crosstown Donuts. Mm-hmm. He'd actually been a customer of ours at TAP and we we realised this and we then we realised that we'd both gone to school in Australia and just about played each other in, in football when we were at school. And got chatting and uh, they're now like a, a really long term partner of ours nice. and one of our one of our best stockists and you know the next day we we sort of clocked the brand of water that the festival had been selling um, or that you had to you had to buy from them in order to resell and we got one of our mates uh, who had a cafe to order a pallet of it from a distributor (laughs) and uh, we we sort of smuggled it in in a zip van with a load of ice and then we sort of hid it and we had this system with six people where we would be like unpacking the water from the pallet, putting it into an ice bucket and like pushing it under all of this ice to get it cold really quickly. And then had, you know, someone taking it out And then two people taking cash. And I think we made about three grand or something. Did you make
0: your money back? Yeah,
1: we made the money back. And we actually made enough money to buy a new coffee grinder, which made the coffee better. (laughs) And we all got to go and see Niles at the end. (laughs) What a great Um, story. And so it's just like, from from this moment, I mean, honestly, my heart was in my shoes. It was just horrible. From that, to be able to turn it around, it just made us think like... We just think back to that so often. It's just like, we can we can turn this around and I guess between that and just like having, having good friends and surrounding yourself with people who, who care about you and like, you know, we become really good mates with the guys from ugly, you know, Hugh reached out to us some, he was just like pestering us to, to swap in cold brew for coconut water. And we're just like, mate, we hate coconut water. We hate Hugh, um, we hate you. That's <laughs> <we> <laughs> so what he just said. We just said like, you know, we'll swap, we'll, you know, we'll swap for beer, but that's it. And, uh, you know, sort of. You know it's people like that, and then the rest of the there's there's a quite a tight sort of sense of community and yeah. we would like to be an active part of that in in food and drink in london and and it's um those things are important and and I think there's like the key takeaways for me are just like resilience and and being able to pick yourself up dust yourself off and 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 go again mm. and and to not get disheartened because it is really long and and patience is critical you just have to be so patient and it's there is no such thing as an overnight success story. I mean, like we've we've met the guys from from Fever Tree, and they were very adamant that it's like a ten-year overnight success story. You know, no one really knew about them. They've even had though. crazy success, exactly. And you know, that's there's there's many examples of that. Wow. I, th- I think that you know you have to be if you if you've got the conviction to keep sort of spinning the same message and. Um, You know trying to get in front of as many new people as possible like you just never know which one is going to help it to blow up and and you know got to constantly iterate and for example like these cans we've just made the decision to change slightly the the wording on the front just based off you know the first couple of weeks in the sainsbury's we're just going to go with coffee soda because we think it's a bit clearer just changing the name of the flavor variant from spice to orange and ginger to open up a few more flavor variants in the future so that it's not like a flavour grouping, but rather like quite specific. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like just you know, I think that once we got through to having a having a team as well, like we're five on the team now. That's um, it. Definitely, like you know, Luke and I sort of people know us as like oh the Sandals boys, and we we like to have a good time, and you know maybe too much sometimes, and you know it's it's definitely like a different. Um, it's definitely different once you start having other people that you're responsible for and, and responsible for having like for an enjoyment at work and, yeah. and, you know, sort of conviction in that same sort of vision and, and, and mission. And so that's, that's really something that we've enjoyed learning about as well.
0: Yeah, mate, I absolutely love that story. I think that, that's <laughs> awesome. Like the, the takeaways as well are amazing. And so many people are going to get uh, amazing advice and stuff they can take away themselves. Well, I hope
1: so. I mean, yeah, I thought, you know, when you first said like, I'd like to, Talk to you. I was kind of thinking because I'd listened to some of the episodes, and you know, some of the people are so like inspiring. And I'm, you know, I'm not like the kind of person who wakes up at five o'clock in the morning and (laughs) and gets up and does two hundred emails. You know, (laughs) I couldn't be more the opposite of of you, Thomas. Um, Where. You know i i feel like it takes me until about nine o'clock for my brain to fully warm up nine o'clock in the evening and, <laughs> and uh you know I, I just i just like slog away each day i'm just trying to like you know pull together information and then when i'm really like in, in in my head you know fully able to think straight that's when i do all my planning and thinking and and i like to you know have like a little picture above my desk in the office which is like a, a cheetah riding a bike and it's kind of for me it says like work smart not hard and you know it might be fast mm. but you can get faster on a bike That's awesome, um, mate. and it's just like the i just think that like what, I, what i'm good at is bringing people together and, and trying to get through to an answer more quickly um by you know i love to help other people and you know i think if you give freely without you know, necessarily needing to get something back. Actually, that ends up coming back to you a hundred times over. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that that's like you don't have to be someone who you know gets up and and you know does does a thousand push-ups and you know has has done eight hundred emails before you get out the door. Yeah. I think it's it's okay to you know sort of different strokes for different folks. And and I think that the um, just having a clear sense of like identity and particularly if you're in business to be able to. Separate your own existential angst from, you know, challenges within the business is is really really key. I think that's been something that I've had to kind of get to terms with over the last two years. Is that like when the it, you know it might be such a big part of my identity, like people know me as like Hugh from Sandals, or yeah. But that doesn't mean that I am the business in yeah. its highs and lows. Like the business is just the business, and I do everything. I try to I, the inputs. And the outputs are what they are. Um, I try to put as much into it as I can.
0: Yeah, separate yourself, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't make me, like, a bad person or, like, you know, a failure. If we have a big problem where, like, you know, we're out of stock for two weeks and I have to to sort of say sorry to everyone. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just the business's problem. and, And at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm still... You know, I'm still doing something that is worthwhile and, and that's okay
0: yeah I like that man that's a very stoic approach like removing the emotion from it and I love the no agenda thing as well because the message comes across as so much more authentic when there's no agenda attached to when you're helping people
1: yeah 100% man I definitely I, I just find that that's um, it's something that's hard to, to, to do all the time and I think that um, I definitely pull myself up sometimes and I'm like oh hang on maybe I'm, I'm tr- trying to trade too much there mm-hmm. You know could i be a little bit more sort of generous and i think that you know when you're like working in sales as well that that approach can you know you, you have to sort of toe the line a little bit uh, massively because <laughs> you do need to get value from yeah. stuff in, in business but at the same time like you know when if i know everything there is to know about you know uh is there anything I know everything to know about (laughs) probably not (laughs) if you know if I know about like uh, the experience of using our design agency and someone else is like looking at using them obviously I'm going to tell them you know like oh you know you should do this and you should do this and like that's so it comes so easily to me and if they're you know I can just give so easily to someone who's got going to get more from it and doesn't necessarily matter if I don't if I don't see any return from that yeah um, certainly, not. I'm not like you know, stood there with a stopwatch going, like, right, when am I going to get something back for this?
0: Mate, it's such a hard one to do. Like, the conflict is obviously, yeah. you want that back, especially talking about in the sales capacity because yeah, you do need sure. to, to make the numbers exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mate, I just want to dive into the same thing we do on every episode. Okay, we've got three questions that ultimately give listeners immediate takeaways that they can hopefully incorporate into their lives and yeah. find high levels of performance in whatever it is that they're doing. Awesome. So the first one of the three questions is, is there anything that you've uh, discovered, could have been read, drank, like sold, anything, anything yeah. that you've done recently that you're particularly excited about?
1: I uh, actually, so <laughs> quite funny, last week I, uh, I had my uh, my phone nabbed out my hand by a guy on a moped last like, no Friday. What? <laughs> like, it's the sort of thing where, you you know, you read about it in the newspaper yeah. and you're just like, oh, that never happened to me. And I was, I mean, to be fair, his techers was <laughs> Unbelievable! Like he was up on the footpath, just one guy, and he like turned the engine off as he went past. He nabbed it of my hand and then turned the engine back on. I didn't hear him coming, and I was just like, "What's just happened?" But it, you know, and most people who know me know I'm I'm like, you know, there was a there was the internet had like a day off for the day because I was <laughs> I'm on my phone a lot. Um, Where were you? What happened? Just, just near near our office. It's like midday. It was in, Is si- in the city? In yeah. Hackney, yeah, yeah. It's mad. Um, but I, um, so I had a couple of days without my phone, and I'd, I'd actually just ordered um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, yeah, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I know that everyone's kind of read this book over the last year and it, and it is an amazing book. And I, it's quite funny that, like, I don't have a phone for a couple of days and I, I finish a book in about two days where it would probably normally take me about two months. <laughs> um, but I just couldn't put it down. And I just loved that his. there's this one... I mean, I've, I've also um, went to Japan a couple of years ago and nice. he, he talks a lot about spending time in Japan. Yeah. And I... Yeah, that, Kind of, I think maybe I had like a more of a connection to it, and I actually love Adidas and like won't wear Nike. Although I've kind of felt like, oh, maybe I've made a mistake (laughs) reading this book (laughs) because it's it's pretty incredible. But the uh, there's this one thing he talks about, which is you know how do you how do you move a mountain just one rock at a time? And I just kept coming back to that and just thinking like that's that's that whole it, it kind of encapsulates the patience I was talking about, the resilience and. You know, sometimes you have to look back and look at where you've come from, not just always Mm. constantly be looking forward because it's, that's, you know, certainly as like an entrepreneur, you, it is so tempting to only ever look forward and, you know, I don't like, I don't want to be like looking over my shoulder and looking back um, all the time, but I think that sometimes you need to remember that, you know, you need fuel and that looking Looking back and sort of taking inspiration from where you've come from and what you've done is, is a good way to sort of like replenish your reserves of um, that ability to be able to wake up and go today's another day and I'm going to give my my best crack.
0: Mm, mate, I love that. Two things, like firstly, couldn't agree more. The book is amazing. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, like just starting flogging trainers out of his boot yeah. to take it where it is now. Amazing. But yeah. I
1: mean I was like, wow, I thought we'd come close with running out of cash, but yeah. like they did it I was so done. stressed reading the book, I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> it's got like a million pound bill. A million dollar bill it's just like it doesn't have to do. <laughs>
0: and yeah, the other one mate it was just um I think you're so right. It's something I struggle with quite a lot, is just taking stock of where you are and what you've achieved in the last six months, year, two years, whatever it is. Yeah. So I think that's amazing. Um the second question in these three is if you were going to give a listener one piece of advice, one thing for them to take away and incorporate into a daily routine that's going to help them improve their performance, what would that thing be?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. I feel like I could probably do with taking some of this advice.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I'm actually, yeah, I don't know if I have necessarily... Maybe the one thing that I do every single day is is um, is, is drink a cup of coffee. Nice. Um, and... Uh, can't think of I, i'm pretty poor with my own discipline and i often you know i'm one of those people who's like oh i need to get better at that i need to do this i need to do that and and i'm not like i have to constantly be telling myself that to to kind of you know right let's start again let's try and like and i'm the sort of person who like if i you know something like if i went to the gym five days and then i missed a day i'd be like oh i'm back to zero rather than like oh, i'm five mm. out of six you know yeah. yes and I find it really difficult to not think like that. And so I find that maybe, you know, the, the, uh, when I, the first cup of coffee or first or second cup of coffee that I drink, um, sometimes it's just like, I'm, you know, I'm doing my emails and whatever. And I'm just like, you know, sort of knocking it back and, and it is kind of maybe for fuel at that stage, but I make sure that at least one of the drinks, one of the coffees that I have every day, is just like. I, I like take a second to breathe and just like separate myself from the work and from everything else and just mm. go like it's almost like a little sort of self-love ritual I guess yeah. and it only takes sort of 10 seconds and I think about the flavour and that kind of thing and Mate, it's so just good. like I just chill for a second and, and I find that you know it's You're so like, there was this guy I was talking to last night. He's like a forager and he was, uh, I mean, lives a pretty different lifestyle to me. Um, And he was talking about how like, you know, it's not natural to live in the city and in concrete jungle and you're so far from your circadian rhythm and that sort of thing. And being out in nature and like, you know, hunter, being a hunter and forager and that sort of thing is, is more natural. And I guess like, what I'm saying is that taking just that little moment to just like slow your heart rate down a bit and just chill is is kind of maybe getting a little closer to that second
0: mm. rhythm no mate I absolutely love it it's bang on it's, it's well in line with like the mindful eating thing and just yeah. being very present and like otherwise you get caught up in yeah, yeah. everything and just, and, just mate, wolf
1: a thing from yeah Tesco for, <laughs> for the sake of it yeah. yeah and
0: I just think yeah I by the way I agree so much with whoever it was who was saying that like not meant to be in the concrete jungle like I was in no. Hampstead Heath the other day and I was just like looking down at the city just like Jesus like what have we done yeah yeah like, but I mean and-
1: I do I, that, that said like you know I come from regional Queensland and I love London like, I love the city and I love I love Tokyo and I love like whenever I go anywhere you know mm. I love Rome like all these different places I just find it like it's like sensory overload and I love that and uh, sure sometimes it can be a bit tiring and you know I'm I feel like when I get out of town I'm like oh okay cool Like I'm just going to chill for a bit but after about a day if people are just like oh I need to get out of London more I'm like mm, yeah really? <laughs> so I don't know I do I I think there's a there's balance is is hard to achieve in life and yeah. that's I guess it's just about trying to get closer to that
0: <laughs> Yeah no I love it mate Alright so the last one is take yourself back to Let's say the moment when you and Luke first sat down and thought about the idea of Sandals. Yeah. What's I the key... So. <laughs> What's the key differentiator between the version of Hugh who went on and built the brand and got it to where it is today versus the version of Hugh who perhaps wouldn't have done it, might have given up when obstacles presented themselves mm. or just wouldn't have been able to achieve the level of success you've had? Jeez. <laughs>
1: That's a big question. I mean... uh kind of like what advice would you give yourself like uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man you've really stumped me on this question <laughs> <like. laughs> i guess um it's just like everyone says man just you've just got to have a go because yeah. honestly like the uh, when i say like i'm more okay with failure i guess the even now like i realize that all the company ever really is is you know if you if you start a product for example you you only really have one goal and that is to get to product market fit so having the right thing at the right time is that that's all it is and that's what a company is and that's why you have limited companies rather so that like like i said before like you can separate yourself from the company and if it all goes you know sort of you know doesn't quite work out then it doesn't mean that you're liable for it Mm. um and I feel like I'm, I'm much more aware of that now and I want to see like how good this idea is but I'm also aware that like if it didn't work out because of either we got the products wrong, which I don't think we have because I think we've listened carefully and, and tried to really understand where people are at, um, or the timing is wrong um, and there's only so much you can do to push it forward faster or, or whatever. And and, you know you need to survive. Make sure that you have enough money to to pay for stuff, to pay your staff. Um, That's, I guess, it's just like being okay with that idea of um, I'm just going to do the best that I can possibly do it. And it's 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 like you know neither it's not past or future. It's just you're just kind of focusing back on Mm. on present and like let's just focus on that. I think I was maybe too when I was sort of 20, 21, I was I was very much like had this idea of like, you know, I want to, happiness looks like um, getting to a place where I've you know, like got things that people have and that aren't me. <laughs> Whereas actually like the, the journeys like the, has been like the most important part really.
0: Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I think it's so important that yeah, you got to focus on the journey but it's such a difficult thing to do and I think that you've summed it up there really well that, if that's the bit that you've enjoyed then you're yeah doing definitely it right. mate. sweet <laughs> thanks thanks so much man no no worries it was an absolute pleasure mate I, i've loved hearing the story and thanks man I'm a, I'm a big fan of the i'm a big fan of the company now i know everything about it as well cheers cheers good thanks luck thanks with the, everything
1: for the platform i really appreciate it
0: not at all no mate it's a pleasure to, to collaborate with you so
1: have definitely um you like extracted a few of the stories i haven't told before so that's cool yeah
0: oh amazing good so i'll uh I'll be putting it out probably this Sunday actually amazing so, uh, awesome I'll, I'll let you know and mate, good luck with everything it looks it like is. you're doing great stuff all the new products and everything thanks man um, and uh, it's
1: a bit of a leap of faith when you make stuff like this so that it will get into Sainsbury's and then you're like oh I hope we get this I hope we get this and yeah. then you get it and it's like oh thank god mate huge <laughs>
0: congratulations honestly it's massive so uh, I'm sure we're going to go on to take on the rest of the supermarkets so. I hope
1: so yeah will see
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome There it is, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you again so much to Hugh Duffy for coming on the show and telling us all about the amazing journey that Sandow's cold brew coffee has been on to date. As you can tell, we were very caffeinated during that conversation. But I hope some of the advice and some of the wisdom that Hugh shared is going to encourage even just one person out there to follow their dream, follow their passion, and launch a product and kill it themselves. We've got a really exciting few weeks coming up for the Take Flight podcast. I'm off to record with an unreal guest tomorrow evening and then towards the end of September I'm off to California actually to get another two episodes in which no doubt will be the highlight of the podcast so far so I cannot wait to share all these amazing stories with you and in the meantime stay positive stay motivated and take flight.